Hi, and welcome to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin. Today, for episode 324, I'm playing back a panel discussion that I moderated from Tab- TabConf 2021. And so you might recall the earlier one that was scaling Bitcoin on-chain. Well, this panel was scaling Bitcoin off-chain. And so the guests for this one are Matt Corallo, Alex Bosworth, Lisa Nugget, and and Graham Krizik from Voltage. Now, for those of you who don't know these people, Matt Corallo is well known for his long-time contributions to Bitcoin Core, though nowadays his focus is more with Square Crypto and working on things like LDK and Rust Lightning. Alex Bosworth is working at Lightning Labs, and he's a very well-known person in the Lightning world. He is known particularly for his work on submarine swaps, yours.org, as well as other ideas around the Lightning Network. Lisa is over at Blockstream. She is working on the Sea Lightning uh, client or implementation of Lightning Network and also obviously works on things related to the Lightning spec. And Graham is over at Voltage working on things like cloud hosting of Bitcoin, Lightning and BTC Pay nodes for users and businesses out there. Now, before we begin, this show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. So swan.com, it's the easy way to accumulate Bitcoin while also learning about Bitcoin with various free resources like Inventing Bitcoin, 21 Lessons and Why Bitcoin, all great Bitcoin books made free available for Swan customers. Now with Swan, you can start off with a lump sum purchase. For example, you can wire in some funds and do a one-off purchase and then set up your BSP, Bitcoin Savings Plan, an automated savings plan. And so on the website, swan.com, you can see there's a savings plan calculator. So you can punch in the numbers as an example. If you had put in $100 a week for X number of years, you can see how much you would have put in and how much that would be worth now in fiat terms in Bitcoin. Also, if you are a high net worth investor or a company looking to stack, or perhaps you're interested in purchasing Bitcoin inside your IRA, Swan Private can help. You'll get a dedicated Bitcoin expert available for calls to walk you through that setup and purchase process, as well as guide you on other aspects of Bitcoin. Sign up at swan.com. Are you looking to borrow against your coins? Well, Lend at HodlHodl is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform. You can lend or borrow stable coins globally and anonymously, there's no KYC, you're, and you're using Bitcoin as collateral. So with Lend at HODL HODL, you no longer have to sell your Bitcoin if you need some fiat, short-term, stablecoin liquidity. You can borrow against your coins. Now throughout that deal, you control one of three keys in escrow throughout the whole deal. Now on the other hand, if you are a stablecoin holder, you can earn some interest by lending out your stablecoins and you define the terms and the APR for your deals. So go and sign up. The website is lend.hodlhodl.com. That's lend.hodlhodl.com. Do you want to get started with Bitcoin mining? If you've got fiat or you want to borrow some fiat and you're looking to purchase mining equipment and get that set up, Compass Mining can help you. This is an online marketplace making it easy for everyone to mine Bitcoin and enhance the Bitcoin network's security. So this is not cloud mining. You select an ASIC machine, have that shipped to a mining facility, or if you're in the US, you can have that ASIC machine shipped to your home. Now, if you're using a facility, you pay a hosting fee and you select the mining pool and you're receiving sats. Now, on the other hand, if you are mining at home, there's content available on the website and they are helping you in terms of getting set up and get your mining rig going so that you can earn sats online. And so with Compass, everyone can tap into economies of scale and access reasonably priced hardware and cheap industrial power rates. So if you're unsure and you don't know how to get started, compassmining.io is where you go to start mining Bitcoin today. Now on to the panel. So guys, thanks for joining us. Um, 
we're talking about off-chain scaling. And so obviously Lightning is the first thing that comes to our mind, um, but maybe it'd be good to, maybe we could start with this idea of what is off-chain scaling. I think, Lisa, you had something to add on this, didn't you? We, we had a meeting in the back and we decided we were moving Lightning to Tron. Uh, and so <laughs> oh, we right. think that'll scale Lightning better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah and I, I think kind of, you know, when you talk about off-chain Bitcoin transactions, um, like where does, where do things like custodial, like if you have like an exchange, right, like a centralized exchange, like how many Bitcoin transactions are happening like, would you call those Bitcoin transactions? Maybe this is like a little off topic, but um, I think that, you know, I think that, I think it's interesting to bring this up because it's like, okay, there's a lot of Bitcoin transactions that are happening across the ecosystem. Like some of them, maybe we could say happen on ETH, the like wrapped ETH stuff. Some of them happen in centralized exchanges or on the cash app just between two like users or whatever. Um, but I think like on the panel, what my understanding of what we're going to be talking about on the panel today is like what I would call like non-custodial um, like, uh, I don't know. How would you like? How would how would you guys describe um, what what kind of like the projects that we work on? I think it's scaling kind of the properties of Bitcoin. So you you know you want to have the property of anybody can enter it, and you don't need a central party to run it, and nobody can kind of revoke your thing. You have privacy. Like you want to get that all those great benefits, but you also don't want to have the the trade off of like oh well if it grows too big then we have to you know we we have to become expensive. Yeah, and I would elaborate on that a little bit of uh, really scaling in a Bitcoin native way where, you know, when you talk about scaling through exchanges or those custodial services, that's not like a Bitcoin native way. It's kind of the old way of doing things that are, you know, have, have their place, I guess. But, um, you know, when thinking about Lightning Network and whatnot, it's scaling things that still keep the ethos and the, the assurances that, you know, the base layer brings um, and just enabling more more things on top of it. Yeah. Uh, Matt, do you have anything to add there? Or no, I thought yeah. that, that hit the nail on the head. Excellent. Um, well, so yeah, so I guess uh, lightning is probably the big one that most of, most of us, are, most of you guys on stage are uh, kind of uh, working on now or known for. Um, so maybe if we could just compare, what, what do you sort of think the possibilities are with the lightning network? Um, people might, as an example, compare the lightning network to you know, the payment processes of the world, the visas, the mastercards of the world. Uh, how would you compare them from a capacity or even transactions per second point of view? Take that, Matt. Um, wow. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, look it, I, I think we still don't know. Like the jury's still out to a large extent. The, the jury's still out in a lot of contexts on how far Bitcoin can scale. Um, but, you know, Lightning has, has, this weird like concept of pre-committed capacity and you can only send as much as the channel has capacity and like doing uh, adding or removing capacity you could do but that takes an on-chain transaction um and so you know there's a, there's a lot of different games you can play around how you allocate different capacity and how that impacts your on-chain transaction volume and you you know you see a lot of users who use some of these kind of mobile lightning apps uh, like Moon, Breeze, Phoenix, whatever, you know, you, you receive funds and a lot of the time that ends up with an on-chain transaction. Um, and so then it's a question of, you know, how what is the ratio of on-chain to off-chain? And it depends a lot on user behavior. And then you have to create a bunch of complicated heuristics on the server side to decide how to allocate your capacity among your users. And these are just like, you know, 
Lightning is still early, and so the user behavior is going to change materially, especially over the next you know year or two. Um, and so anything that works now might not work in a year. Um, and either way, both today and in the future, this is a fundamentally hard problem. It's like kind of hard to create heuristics to allocate capital to where it's going to be needed in the future. Um, and if you get it wrong, it means more on-chain transactions and, and maybe there's enough on-chain capacity and maybe that's okay or maybe there's not. And then maybe suddenly fees are going up and you're paying a lot of money for that. Um, and so, uh, you know, obviously Lightning can, can scale Bitcoin, whatever, 10x from where it is with just on-chain or maybe it's 100x or maybe it's 1,000x, but like we just don't know yet. Um, and it depends a lot on uh, solving, you know, I... Uh, engineering questions but more fuzzy engineering questions that don't have like a concrete answer and if you get it right um then it works really well and if you don't get it right maybe you end up with a lot of on-chain transactions yeah so maybe as an example you could get like a 10x improvement or maybe it might be literally thousands uh in terms of how much you can pack into one transaction i mean just as an example i, right. I saw uh nicholas bertie from galois uh, and the Bitcoin Beach Wallet. Now, granted, the Lightning aspect of it is custodial, but as an example, he mentioned there were something like fourteen thousand transactions in like a in like a week or so, and that's like ten thousand use five thousand or ten thousand users, and the amount of on-chain transactions was like fourteen. Right, and and if you if you pass it through a custodial service, you get a like lot dramatically. Better, right? yeah, it's like it's, it's it's when you have kind of the end users with their own channels that it gets very complicated and starts to have scaling questions. If you're talking about like you know, how do you accelerate transactions and moving funds between one custodial service and another between exchanges so people can ar uh, arbitrage or whatever? Suddenly you're talking about like, well, yeah, you just open a big fat channel and maybe you like do one transaction a day and it doesn't really matter how much capacity you have. You have enough liquidity for it. And suddenly it scales basically at infinitum. Yeah. Anyone else on the panel want to add something? Uh, I, I think like I wanted to kind of add on to something that Matt said. It's kind of like when you're comparing speed, you kind of have this like trade off between the off chain things off chain which are fast and then like on chain and how much of a mix of your transactions end up being like off chain versus on chain um and kind of like maybe put some like time scales around those so in theory on lightning when you're doing off chain transactions like how fast does that go the answer is as fast as your computer can send and receive messages and maybe write some things to disk um so like at that point it's say um <laughs> Um, so like at that point, it's not even like a, at that point, like kind of, I want to say like the best case scenario of an off-chain transaction, you're looking at like physical limits of your hardware and your computers and your network and your computer system. Speed of light. Yeah, speed of light. Um, uh, and then when you start bringing in the on-chain transaction things, at that point, you start looking at um, like congestion of the entire network, right? Like how many other people are attempting to transact on-chain at the same time? How fast are blocks getting mined at that particular time period? Um, how much are you willing to pay in order for that transaction to go through? And so that, like, as soon as you start adding into, like, the on-chain territory, um, kind of the constraints about what um, your speed of transaction kind of, like, changes a little bit. So, um, yeah, in theory, if everything was, like, off-chain, right, if you could have, like, all of your transactions be off-chain transactions, then... Yeah, it's the speed of light, and it's well, it's the speed of light. It's like the bandwidth that your computer is like physically capable of processing, and um, you know, to compare that to Visa, I think Visa has like some really nice hardware. They like run mainframes, etc. Um, so like their like hardware that they're running their transactions on is quite like great. Um, I'm assuming they have like pretty large 
Yeah, Raspberry Pi Lightning nodes <laughs> hang all the time. They just like sit there and spin for a good few seconds and then they'll forward the payment maybe. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I mean, that's kind of, I mean, that's totally, I think, a different way of looking at it. But it's definitely, I think, an interesting way of like comparing maybe like the Visa network to how Lightning Networks works. Um, mm -hmm. I think another thing that's interesting about like the Visa network, so... I mean, this is like totally kind of like, I really like looking at things at sort of like the nuts and bolts like level, like the visa network is really like a couple of nodes at like a couple of banks across the country. Mm -hmm. So the total number of like computers that you're having to touch to run a visa transaction is probably less than 10. I would be surprised if it's like less than more than half of that, right? Like kind of in that order of magnitude. Um, in theory, depending on how well connected your lightning payment is, like maybe you're talking to like a similar number of computers. Like, right. And given the multi-hop nature of the Lightning Network, you're you're waiting for this back and forth for that as well. Uh, Graham, I'm oh, sorry. Uh, Graham, well, I wanted to throw it to you just around um, uh, because some of the com earlier comments as well were about how how might it work on, let's say, a lower-powered device, but also you're working on this idea of hosted nodes as well. So maybe you could touch on that a little bit and maybe the difference and maybe the capacity of, say, the hosted node aspect versus, let's say, everyone running on a Raspberry Pi. Yeah, uh, no, I think that's that's a good point. Um, where uh, when when you think about Lightning and running your own nodes and things like that, you know what's what's nice about the Visa network or whatever is Visa handles all that for you. If you're running your own node, well, you you are kind of responsible for how fast your node can process payments. Um, and uh, it is you know much like you said, it's kind of uh, your 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 own bottleneck. You are resource constrained by you know your Raspberry Pi or if you're running it in the cloud on some bigger server. Can probably do more payments um so uh it, it does have a much direct uh much more direct relationship between you know the size of your node or the hardware that's running on um to be able to figure out how fast you can um transact so uh you know when we think about like running nodes for like a business or someone that has like you know needs they want speed they want uh really uh high success rates on their payments things like that you know we'll put them on faster hard drives bigger servers because they might have a hundred channels and they need it to function really well and maybe a, an individual doesn't need the same assurances. Um, you know, they can run it cheaper and you know, way to have just a little have bit smaller payments. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's really just all about like what you are trying to get out of it and what your experience wants to be. You want it to be. Um, and then additionally, touching on what Matt kind of said earlier too is uh, a lot of this is you know like still being like actively developed. So I think that a lot of like the the ways uh, that we transact on the Lightning Network today might shift. Not you know I think that a lot of it will be fairly similar. But I think a lot of this is still evolving, and there's still a lot of things that are being developed to enhance, you know, the network as a whole. Um, so I think that you, there's a lot of improvements that can still be made um, on top of the network, you know, as as we grow it. Yeah. There's one uh, when we talk about like how quickly can you push payments through. Um, there there is a trade-off here that may be worth mentioning, and that that's privacy, right? So if if you deliberately delay the payments, you might actually be able to get some real privacy on Lightning uh, from from an adversary who who sees kind of the timing of payments flow through the networks. This is kind of a common problem in, in Tor and other anonymity networks that rely on kind of bouncing something around through a network to get privacy. Um, is that, well, if you see a payment come from here and go to here and come back and it all happens at the same time and there's not really many other payments at the same time, you know exactly who sent it and who received it and where it went. Um, and so there, there is some... Uh, there is going to be some tension going forward in the Lightning Network about kind of how much do you delay a payment to get some kind of batching factor um, versus how much is that going to cause a payment to be delayed and how much privacy does that gain and, and what is your, your kind of policy around that. Um, and I think this is also a, an, an interesting open question that, that 
we'll have to yeah. figure something out. Yeah, I think the privacy aspect's an interesting kind of thing. So when we're comparing to like what like differences between like on chain or off chain, right? Um, the the privacy story on Lightning is quite different than the privacy story on chain, right? Um, the, the on chain, all of your transactions are written into a giant ledger. Um, there's this like it's you're kind of hoping that at some point in the future no one figures out who your public keys belong to because it's all on chain so like there's kind of this always this like retroactive threat that someone could figure out what your transaction history was and who you're transacting with um just because of the way that you know blockchains are kind of permanent records um whereas on lightning um the privacy of your payments is a lot more it's all off chain right so the, because it's what does it mean when it's off chain it kind of means that the movement of funds is like sort of ephemeral um, and that you don't really keep track of who's sending money to who. And, you know, we have this privacy thing that makes it as, as much as possible difficult to tell where the payment originated from and where it's going to. After the payment is completed, there's really no record of it other than what, like, like only the nodes that are involved in the direct payment yeah, learn about it. Learn about it, and the only record is what they've written into their private data stores. So if you, for some reason, had it such that you were deleting certain payment data, um, it's kind of difficult to do. Like, well, no, you can delete. Like, how much and can you delete with like the revocation there, stuff? Yeah. Right? Like, Isn't that like an L two one? Once we're in an L two world, that would be. Better, right? I think that's right. That's yeah. the main. Uh, L2, but also even Taproot, the PTLCs, you get at least a unique identifier for your node, so it's a little better. Yeah. So this is like a, also it gets into like payment uh, decorrelation and stuff. But yeah. Alex, we haven't heard much from you. Let's um, hear a little bit from you. Uh, I know uh, you're obviously very involved in terms of, or at least you were a pioneer in terms of people swapping on and off chain. Um, maybe you want to touch a little bit on that for yeah. us. What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think. You know, it was, it was said before, but like you have the limitation of flow constraints in the Lightning Network. So kind of like your bottleneck in terms of like transmission speed isn't that, you know, how many signatures can you do? It's like how much Bitcoin do you have that needs to flow in a certain direction? So that's kind of the thing that I worked on a lot is like, how can we bring the benefits of both? Like, you know, you, you have when you when you hit a flow constraint, like how do you deal with that? Um, like and if I look at my own nodes, like I have millions of states on my past channels, um, and I've made probably well under a thousand Bitcoin transactions. So like the scaling factor there maybe is thousand X. But if I look maybe uh, over the past year, I've probably forwarded maybe 15 or $16 million, but that's versus $4 million worth of capacity that's deployed to the node. So the, 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 like, the factor uh, of scaling is really for smaller payments where you can just do a signature and the, the, the difficulty where we need tooling, we need better, you know, market systems is where you go from, like, how much can I stretch this capital that I've deployed? I've deployed this amount of money and I need it to power, you know, a huge, huge size in terms of volume. Um, and that's, that's kind of like the, the limit of the Lightning Network. Yeah. A few also, thousand sats payments always work. A few million sats payments and not so much. Not so much right now. But you could, I mean, so I think it's, I think... Alex brings up a really good point in terms of capacity for the Lightning Network or like any L2 really that's using. So L2s are built using, I would call them like pools of like, they're like, Lightning's like mint, lots of little bitty pools of um, Bitcoin capital that's been locked into these channels, right? Um, so at some point, the like in terms of the actual dollar volume of transactions that is, are able to happen in Lightning is going to be a function of the amount of Bitcoin that's been committed to the like layer two thing. There's only 21 million Bitcoin. 
Um, like what fraction of that Bitcoin is going to make itself available to be locked into channels is like a big question. Um, and then once you have it like locked into channels, is it locked into places that like are actually usable, you know, because um, yeah. it's really hard to predict where, well, I don't know how hard it is to predict where um, payments are going to go. Maybe it's quite trivial, but having <laughs> capital deployed to the right places yeah. is, um, is I think, also going to be a bit of a factor there. Um, it's to like compare it to Visa, because I think this is kind of interesting. Like, um, so like Lightning is kind of a factor of how much light of Bitcoin is locked into Lightning channels, right? Visa, like how much transaction volume they can do is a function of how much credit has been extended to the people that hold Visa mm -hmm. cards, right? Yeah, so it's kind of a very, it's a difference of kind, right? It's credit versus actual settlement. So it's like, that's a big, big difference. And I think a lot of people don't grasp that. And for all we know, it could be that, you know, the fees on, uh, well, Lightning fees will, probably will rise uh and so it's it's like a similar thing i think rusty has given a talk on this idea as well that uh in the early days of bitcoin oh, it's cheap and free and you know it's fast but actually in lightning world that may change and people will need to understand the the category difference that lightning is actually settlement it's not credit well, and, and you can see you know a lot of the like mobile lightning wallets that are non-custodial when the when the lsp has to extend uh, their liquidity to you for you to receive a payment like some of them actually charge reasonable fees. I mean, it's still lower than Visa by a large margin, but but they charge significantly higher fees than you know people running around saying like Lightning is free, it's great, you know. And we'll again we'll see how that shakes out, what the cost of capital is. Um, but it's not completely free, and it's remains to be seen exactly where that lands. Yeah, uh, Graham, I'm curious uh, if you've got any views around. So part of what we were talking about earlier is not knowing where that payment is going. And I guess part of what you're doing as well with Voltage is around spinning up a node for somebody. And I don't know how much channel management goes into that as well for them. Uh, how do you think about that kind of challenge or that problem? Yeah, uh, I mean, we're, we're trying to come up with solutions to make that um, easier as we go. Uh, you know, we, we definitely try and help our customers as much as we can with channel management and deploying where they need it to be, depending on, you know, what their use case is. Um, but I think that, you know, I maybe I'm a little bit like over optimistic here, but I think that there will be a day where the tooling will be so good that you don't really have to think about channel management as much as you do today. Like, you know, when you create a node, you, the first thing you have to do is create a channel before you can even send a payment. Um, and I think that we'll get to the point in tooling where uh, a lot of it will be abstracted away and you can um, get up, up, sorry up to speed uh, much much easier and quicker than, than it is today. Um, and so we're working on some tools to, you know, make that easier for people to connect with others and get channels in the network and get up to speed faster. Um, so uh, it's really, it kind of goes back to, you know, the, the comments you guys were saying about, you know, where do you deploy your capital on the Lightning Network? Um, and it's really just a function of what your objectives are. Um, and I think that, uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of innovation in that space. Like, I, I, yeah. like what a lot of Alex works on. Um, I think that there will be a lot of tooling to make this less of a problem than it is today. Yeah. What are the hopes? So, Alex, I'm curious, what are the hopes then on, as an example, LND, like autopilot or this kind of idea of, you know, uh, node scoring so that you know, okay, when I spin up this node, who am I going to open my channel with? What, what are the hopes for automation? Um, well, you know, from my perspective, I kind of see specialization as an answer where you are running a node, but you don't necessarily need to be a routing node. So if you're the end user, then you connect to a routing node and they have, there's a big selection for you. Anybody can be a routing node, but you don't need to do that yourself. And I think that that's how the market will mature over time is 
Uh, also, on the other side, if you're a merchant, you don't necessarily need to operate a routing node as a merchant. You gotcha. can focus on just being a great merchant, and you can connect to a variety of routing nodes, evaluate them for performance. And that's one thing that like, I definitely work on, you know, even as a routing node, is evaluating performance. Is this routing node actually delivering good service to me? And that's where I see a lot of use, like useful automation tooling coming around because you have so much data. Like this node forwarded this many payments to me, and this node, you know, hasn't been active for a, you know for a while, or it's it's a source of errors. So um, I think that there'll be there'll be more uh, automation around, like kind of like using your own data to solve your own problems. Yeah, uh, I'm curious, Matt. Um, what's the approach there around like Rust Lightning? Uh, and yeah, so we, you know, we're obviously like an, working a very different market segment than LND or C Lightning. You know, LND and C Lightning are designed to be um, a node that you can operate. That you know, maybe they have some tooling, maybe there's some good plugins for for doing all kinds of automation and whatnot. Uh, uh, LDK, the the Lightning Dev Kit, and, and Rust Lightning, which kind of powers it, um, are much more kind of a toolkit with which you can build a Lightning node, gotcha. not necessarily a Lightning node. Um, and so that's kind of targeted at like, uh, so so we've had a number of conversations with people around uh, like people who want to build mobile lightning experiences and that kind of thing. And there you're talking much more about kind of lightning service provider models where, you know, you're going to run C Lightning or LND uh, on your server to be a routing node for your clients. And then the LDK node will be configured to to only open channels with that or maybe do zero conf channels or all kinds of additional features you might provide. Um and so we, you know, we we leave it up to the user. We don't we don't currently do any work in that space directly uh, because we have users who have very different models. And and you know, Alex does a good job with with various scoring here, and and users can just use that and not not yeah. have to. Yeah. And Lisa, I'd love to hear a bit more from you um, with the C Lightning and Blockstream approach. Could you tell us a little bit about liquidity advertisements? Like, what are they? How do they work? Oh yeah. So um, the yeah, so I mean, liquidity advertisements. So this is kind of in the the theme of, um, you know, there's only going to be so much Bitcoin available, and of all the Bitcoin available, only so much of it is going to be interested in being available, making itself available to Lightning capacity, so to speak. Um, so given this like assumption that there's like a subset of Bitcoin that wants to be deployed to the Lightning network, but needs help figuring out where to deploy itself to. Um, the idea with liquidity ads, it's a it's a lightning spec proposal. So our hope is that it'll get adopted by other implementations and then be part of the lightning spec. Um, so anyone who runs a lightning node will have access to it. But what it does generally is it allows for anyone who runs a node to advertise that they have um, like Bitcoin on their node that they're willing to allocate to channels with other nodes. So if you start up a new node. Um, you can basically start gossiping with the other peers. You collect all of these liquidity advertisements that any other node on the network is advertising. Um, you can see who's advertising it. You can uh, maybe talk to some data providers about, hey, tell me about this node. What's its reputation like? Um, like, you know, how much should I value as a node in the network with my inbound liquidity needs? How much should I value what they're offering me? Um, and then decide, basically, you pay them for the service of them giving you inbound liquidity. And for those of you who are like uh, inbound liquidity, for those of you who aren't really familiar with like lightning terminology, um, basically is the ability to receive payments. So this is when you open a channel, um, the other side of the channel needs to have funds on it so that whenever you receive a payment, those funds can be pushed to you. 
Um, so basically, this gives you a way to source from any node on the network. Um, currently, only nodes that are running C Lightning and like have the stuff set up exactly correctly. But hopefully, in the future, any node in C in, in Lightning Network that um, wants to be able to advertise liquidity will be able to, and that any node that wants to be able to purchase some inbound liquidity from them will be able to do it. So it's very de very decentralized. There's no centralized market. You kind of have to decide how much you want to price your liquidity at on your own. We don't really have like a lot of help for that. Um, but it is like super decentralized and hopefully it allows people in the market who have liquidity um, the ability to kind of like set up a signal such that people who are looking for inbound liquidity, um, if they're willing to pay for it, we hope that that means that they're going to make good use of it, right? Because clearly they have a use for it. Um, so this is kind of a way of matching, kind of decentralized matching via billboard system um, who has liquidity that they want to deploy and people who would like to make use of that, I think. Yeah. Um, but I'll be giving a talk on it tomorrow morning if you want to learn more about how they work. Back to the show in a moment. Have you thought about upgrading your Bitcoin security? Unchained Capital are helping create multi-signature vaults. Now, you can actually do this for free if you bring two hardware wallets and go to unchained.com. You set up an account and you'll basically plug in your wallets or in ingest that information from your cold card and you can create the vault for free. Now, if you need help there's a concierge onboarding program which is getting quite popular now so basically they will ship you to hardware wallets they'll do a call with you and set you up even if you've never held your private keys before now with bitcoin security you want to remove single points of failure and that's what multi-signature helps us achieve because you'll hold two keys they'll hold one and you keep your two keys in separate locations so if you're interested for this go to unchained.com select the concierge onboarding program and use the code Levera for a discount now, if you're looking to get a hardware wallet to take your coins off the exchange or you want to upgrade to the cold card, you can get this at coinkite.com. So the cold card looks like a little calculator and it can generate private keys, it can store your private keys, and it can sign Bitcoin transactions. You can use it as part of a single signature setup when you're getting started, or if you're ready to take it to the next level, you can use cold card as part of a multi-signature setup. And it's got all sorts of advanced features that help you achieve this. So for example, you can use a micro SD card to move that information back and forth between your cold card hardware device and the computer. And you can use it easily with wallets like Spectre, Sparrow, or Electrum. And if you're new, you can remember, you can just use it directly plugged to the computer also. So that's another option. So if you're interested to get one, go to coinkite.com and use the code Levera for a discount. And finally, brains.com. That's B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Brains are a Bitcoin company through and through. They are working on some of the unique and cutting edge projects in the mining industry. They've got Brains OS Plus, which is firmware for your ASIC mining machine. And they've also got Slush Pool, one of, well, the first mining pool. They are also co-creators and trying to drive the Stratum V2 adoption. Now, Stratum V2 is a next generation mining protocol. And so this is a great project to push forward to improve the resiliency of the Bitcoin mining space. If you have Bitcoin mining ASICs, make sure you look into Brains OS Plus and whether that is available for your machine. This is an aftermarket custom firmware which enables you to stack more sats. It's got auto-tuning so you can optimize your performance and get more bang for your buck. So go to brains.com. That's B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. And now back to the panel. Excellent. Maybe a little bit out there as well, like uh, with as an example with El Salvador, right? There's six million people who are coming onto the Lightning Network. You guys are all working on the Lightning Network in some way, shape, or form. 
do you have any thoughts on that? Does that represent like a, a, a stress test of Lightning or do you think it's, it's, only, it's early days and th there's, there's essentially still a lot of on-chain usage, they're not really using as much Lightning yet? Uh, I think, uh, I mean, it is a good stress test, like just to just get more people using it. I mean, you're going to find, you know, where the where the needs are of the people and what needs to be fixed and all those things. So it is a good stress test. But um, I think like a, a large amount of the like El Salvador stuff is custodial right now. So it's not necessarily stressing the lower level, like the network itself a lot. Um, but it's really, I mean, helping a lot of people that are starting to use nodes uh, in a much more serious way, I guess, instead of just, you know, having these small nodes that do a few payments a day or something, they're actually doing like substantial payments. Um, so uh, I think that it is a good stress test. It's any usage is good. Um, I think that right now it's more, I think it's more testing the implementations themselves um, than like the network itself right now, um, which is good. I think that, you know, we can, that's, that's a natural step in um, evolving the network is helping us figure out where, you know, what are, where are the gaps at in, in these implementations and then also you know, in the tooling, all of these things. Right. I mean, we're still obscenely early in Lightning's lifetime. I mean, certainly, you know, volume of payments wise. And also, I mean, I, you, people saw the, the, the CVEs that, that came through a few weeks ago, which can kind of best be described as like uh, prior to a few weeks ago, you the security model of Lightning included you shall not open a Lightning channel with any Bitcoin miners. Uh, and even today, depending on the exact channel type, that's maybe a little true, right? So like the security model of Lightning still has a long way to go and we're still tightening a lot of issues up. Um, so, you know, we're still, which which kind of the point about custodial wallets, like uh, to some extent today with Lightning, if you want to open a reasonably large amount of funds into a channel that you want those funds back, you probably kind of want to know your counterparty or at least know that your counterparty is not actively malicious or not going to, you know, put in some amount of work to steal your funds like this. We're just, we're getting there. We're getting there quickly, but we're still getting there. <laughs> and at least make sure they're not a minor. <laughs> Anything else you guys wanted to add around that? I mean, I think that the, the whole system is kind of the network that, uh, you know, I don't think it's, I think it is a stress test of like, how easy is it for developers to get up and running? How right. easy is it for users to, to get going? So I definitely see the stress right now. Like, you know, we're talking to people in El Salvador who are deploying and, you know, they don't necessarily care about the technical details. They just need to provide the solutions to people. And they, they I think we do, we do have a lot of people who are falling back to the chain because this is a brand new, you know, like uh, system that they have to like just suddenly wake up and support. And uh, the people who were there already we're more familiar with the chain. The chain has, you know, the benefit of 10 years of all sorts of libraries and, um, you know, simple ways to access it. And so we have to do everything from the network layer all the way to the user layer to scale that up. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's I think it's important to point out kind of like more differences between on-chain versus off-chain and like why is on-chain so much easier, I think, to deploy and get set up and running is the level of like technical know-how that you need in order to interact with any like layer one um typically is a lot lower than any that anything that you need to like run and operate like a lightning node um and the reason for that is that like the a lot of the burden of you know storing state um maybe that's just the whole thing the whole burden of storing state really and like the connectivity um is like 
really abstracted away from you as like a transactor. Um, so like you as a transactor, like all you really have to do is kind of keep track of like a few pieces of data on the chain. If you lose it, you can like for the most part, as long as you have like your secret seed key, be able to like figure it out again because someone else is keeping track of it. That someone else is like all the Bitcoin nodes in the network that have like the full block history. Um, whereas on Lightning, there's like so much more complexity because all of a sudden, um, and this is like one of the big trade-offs between layer ones and layer twos is that layer one is, and the reason they're so slow, is that the state, which is like all the history of the transactions, um, is is kind of in one big place and everyone knows it and you share it with everyone. And so like everyone knows what the state is or the history is altogether. Whereas L2, the way that you get these like speed ups is that all of a sudden there's like this like localized little history or state that you need to remember um, and that takes like some level of infrastructure. Like yeah. you've got to have like a, a node set up running and that sort of thing. And so, yeah, it is a lot more infrastructure heavy, I think, to run L L2s just in general. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to, I was just going to say that like, that's, uh, I think that's the, the biggest challenge maybe is people, even people that are familiar with Bitcoin, lightning is like just so different than on-chain Bitcoin. Like that's, there's still kind of a hurdle of just learning it and figuring out all of the details. So I think it's, um, that's one just challenge is that, you know, it's this is still Bitcoin, but it's just they operate so much differently that it's still all big learning curve. For some yeah, you people. still can't receive funds while offline. Yeah. Right. <laughs> everyone, everyone coming, especially those coming at it from on chain, the on chain world where they're like, yeah. yeah, we have this address. We can like hand it to someone and then you can like send funds whenever. And then suddenly you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. the recipient has to be online at the same time as the sender. And suddenly they're like, "Wait, what? You want to do? How do we build a user experience around that?" And then you know, yeah, there's yeah. there's a lot of these things that just require even fundamentally rethinking your user experience in a way that people aren't will take some time to come around to. Yeah. From an infrastructure perspective, I know that some of the exchanges are starting to they're getting more advanced around how they do their lightning. So I mean, probably the well-known exchanges who do lightning, uh, Bitfinex, River. Um, OKCoin, I believe. I know Kraken have said they're going to do it soon. But anyway, the point is they are doing approaches like saying having one node in front and one node behind. What do you guys think that looks like? As as you, know, as you were saying, like people who are trying to support El Salvador or el elsewhere, they're, they're trying to be, build more, I guess, professionalized level lightning stacks. What does that look like as compared to, let's say, the typical kind of one guy with his Raspberry Pi, one guy with his box at home kind of thing? Yeah, I think that I just I think that we're we're working on that evolution now where, you know, previously no one was really putting any sizable amount of money on the Lightning Network and it was fine to just be on a Raspberry Pi or whatever. And now people are are putting real money, like large amounts of money on the network. And so I think that that's being looked at, I think, by both of the implement all of the implementations and figuring out um what is the best security models to do like, yeah, like access controls for your node yeah. and being able to keep your keys right. even, you know, they have to be online, but like in a separate server or something. So I think that that's, uh, that is kind of the next phase of infrastructure, in my opinion, is making this more, uh, being able to run it with the, the same assurances that you kind of get, like in, when you like think about a bank or even just doing like cold storage on, um, uh, on, on layer one Bitcoin. Um, and just having, being able to bring in a lot of that same security uh, into the Lightning Network is really, you know, I think where things are headed next. Yeah. Good. I was going to say, this is like one of the projects that we're working on at Blockstream right now that I'm really excited about is um, this project called Greenlight. And what's so cool about that from its infrastructure perspective is that um, we're proposing, it's a, 
So for Lightning, there's every time a transaction happens, you need keys to be online to sign Bitcoin transactions. So um, this is just kind of the way that Lightning works. It's basically all hot wallets. Um, I don't know if I'm like say that too loudly, but uh, like you know, every Lightning node is basically a hot wallet. So all the funds, and that's because in order to make use of funds in Lightning channels, you need to be producing signatures for transactions, which means you need keys. So what Greenlight is proposing to do, um, which is really exciting, is we basically take this requirement for the keys and we move it to maybe someone's cell phone or like a browser extension or some like remote, some like, you know, like a computer that isn't like, this is, clearly isn't going to be processing thousands of transactions or like doing anything super crazy. Um, and then we can move the kind of liveness node requirement to like a big backend. So we would basically have like, almost like the AWS of your Lightning node. And when you receive a payment, we spin up a node for you and contact your keys and ask for your keys to sign a thing. But in general, like all of the infrastructure of the actual node, keeping up with like what, what payments are coming in for you, that sort of stuff, um, you can kind of abstract away from the maintenance of like the funds, et cetera, which is, I hope, hopefully that'll make it easier to scale Lightning infrastructure. Right, and shout out to, to Dev Random and, and Ken Cedric who are, working on actually enforcing policy constraints on those signing devices and, and the work that they've done on Lightning Signer Project. Yeah, yeah um, and uh, I recall another kind of related idea. Uh, the guys at CoinCorner did this thing called Hoffline Wallet, and it's like two, um, it's like, I think it's two Raspberry Pis, and the idea is it's, it's like a funny little way of having a, a warm wallet, let's call it, and you could set up policy rules and yeah, sort of related to the the idea of having like a lightning warm wallet, if you will. Right, I think the the signer folks want to want to do similar stuff like that. Um, you can, I think they're working on replacing it in the HSMD and in C Lightning, and and you can do it in LDK, and and being able to enforce policy constraints on the device that's signing, which is separate from the device that's doing stuff like you know making TCP connection and actually being exposed to the internet and that kind of thing. Yeah, and I guess there's also all these kinds of considerations around things like uh, redundancies or backups as well, um, and also latency. So if you've got another node behind another, and oh, Lightning is meant to be fast payments, right? And so if it's well, if it's actually behind another layer, then every time you're routing, maybe that's a, a slowdown in the speed as well. So I guess these are some of the engineering challenges people are working with, right? And there's big liquidity considerations there too, right? And and we've seen different companies explore different models, right? Where, you know, if you're a large merchant or a large exchange, you might run one big node and like have big fat channels with everyone else on that one node. Or you might, you know, I know Zap, like every time you create an invoice, it gets put against a different node and they have a bunch of nodes on the back end that are all freestanding nodes that have their own channels and you have to make sure you send to the right node or you know obviously the invoice does this but but it, you can only send to that one of their nodes and not all of their nodes um, and there's 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 trade-offs there um, there's there's uh, models where you you maybe have multiple nodes but you can generate an invoice that works across all of them but then you can't use MPP and so maybe that doesn't work for larger payments but maybe for smaller payments there's, there's still a lot of exploration to be done and a lot of a lot of different models that people are exploring and trying and, and we'll see where, where things shake out and what works for people and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, let's, I wanted to uh, hear a little bit more about dual channels. So Lisa, do you want to tell us a little, sorry, dual, fu dual channel funding rather. Yeah, um, so uh, this is a spec proposal that liquidity ads like requires basically. Um, uh, we also call it like, it's like channel like V2 basically. So V2 yeah. opens. Um, 
So this has been a kind of a long running project of mine to change how the spec for lightning works just for when you're opening a channel. Um, the biggest change is that in the past, like or current day, I should say, um, the when you open a lightning channel, only one side of the channel basically has the well, one side of the channel constructs a transaction, figures out what the funding transaction is going to look like and where the funding output is, and then tells the other peer. Um, and then, and that's at the protocol layer of Lightning. So this is like the protocol that every Lightning node speaks. Um, so what we've done on C Lightning um, is we've changed the underlying protocol such that now when you open a channel, both sides construct a channel, construct a transaction together. Um, and this constructed, this ability to construct this channel together at the same time means that both sides have the opportunity to put funds in it. So um, currently when you open channels with things like L&D or with async, um, only one side will have like funds on the channel. Um, but on C Lightning, if you use like uh, the fund channel and you're both using um, the V2, if you both have like V2 enabled, um, both sides will have the opportunity to put funds in the channel at the beginning of it. Um, and this means that you can immediately send and receive payments in the same channel. Um, it's only a single like on-chain transaction, which is really nice. So it's like really lightweight. So you kind of get this deployment of capital from two different sides um, all in a single transaction. Um, and we've actually written the protocol in such a way that um, C Lightning has this uh, command that's been in there a long time called multi-fund channel, which lets you open multiple channels in the same uh, transaction. Um, and we extended it to work with this um, V2 version. So you can use multi-fund channel. And if you're using liquidity ads, so liquidity ads is like a coordination mechanism for um, the V2 channel stuff. So basically that that's a way to let people know to put money in the channel for you by paying them for it. Um, so you could, in, in theory, like I say in theory, but you, I haven't done it, but you could definitely do like a multi-fund channel. Um, where you lease funds from like five different channels all in the same transaction. And so you would open five channels that are like balanced to whatever degree you wanted them to be um, all like in like a single transaction on chain. So there's a lot of batching saving there in that way because now instead of, let's say as an example, I wanted to open a channel, one of each of you, that's four transactions on chain I'm doing. But in that model, let's say we're all using C Lightning and we're all, you know, then it could be like one channel I open, or one, sorry, one transaction to open four channels, one with each of you. So that's yeah. kind of like a cool yeah. batch saving. And they'd all have funds in both directions. So you could immediately, in theory, send and receive through all of them at the yeah. like immediately, um, which is pretty cool. So uh, we're pretty excited about it. Um, the people that I know have used it seem to think it's pretty cool. Um, it's very decentralized. So like all of this happens only between the nodes that are, Communicating, the, yeah, they're the collaborating channel. on the transaction. Yeah, so it's really, I mean, like, I don't have any stats on, like, maybe I could get some stats, but I don't have, like, any stats on how many of these transactions have been done. Might be interesting as well from a privacy point of view that um, it sort of starts to cut against some of the normal heuristics that are used, this idea that, oh, common ownership heuristic, if actually now this is this one transaction represents, like, five people all creating a channel chan channels together, then it's sort of... To yeah, and mess you get really, bit. I think it, the privacy benefits start getting bigger when you like don't do change outputs. So if you put all of the money from your UTXOs yeah. into channels, then there's no change. Gotcha. Yeah, so as an example, let's say we did that. Let's say I did a, a, a V2 channel with you, Lisa, and then I get some change uh, or it's, it's stopping me doing a change output. That's probably the important one because then right now, in terms of if somebody tries to change the value on the Lightning Network and Bitcoin on chain, 
they're looking at, oh, hey, what was Stefan's change output? Oh, I see, that's his change output. Let me see where that goes next. Oh, I've got him now. But in this example, if you're just every channel open is a V2 channel, you're, you're, still, you're sort of taking away that heuristic. So that might be an interesting privacy benefit there, as well as a scalability aspect, because we're using Lightning. So that's an interesting one there. Um, I, I know, Alex, you've got a, probably a similar idea there around batching as well with like looping in and out, but for multiple channels at the same time, right? Well, yeah, I mean, like sometimes people say like you can get a scalability benefit by taking a lot of different transactions and then merging them into one transaction. But actually, you have to look at the inputs and the outputs. If I'm spending one input and making many outputs, that's way different from having many different transactions that are all spending one input and having one output and then just joining them together into the same transaction. Mm. So it's a difference probably between a 5% increase and it may be a 500% increase. So uh, you kind of have to think about it like not just like, okay, I'm reducing the number of transactions, but I'm reducing the on-chain footprint. And that is the idea behind loop. The idea is that you have very long-lived channels that you know these are kind of staying around for a year or two years. But then you have liquidity needs, like maybe the, the balance has just shifted too much. And that also plays back to security needs. Maybe I don't need, I don't need to have a, a big hot wallet because I'm a merchant. I need to get those funds over, but I don't want to just be closing all the channels with all my peers. I want to be maintaining those good channels that I have with them. Um, so that's where we get a lot of usage. We say, okay, we, you know, just find your set of peers who, who are delivering great service to you, monitor them, make sure that they're, they're continuing to do that. that you know, that's a decentralized process. You can pick any peer you want. And then you use a loop service, and what we do there is we do batching. So we have mega inputs. We have a big input, and then we create uh, swaps with all the people, and, and we delay it. So we say, okay, you're going to, like, unless you pay us extra, we're going to match you with a bunch of other people, and they're all going to make swaps, uh, like, so many outputs and one input. And then um, with Schnorr, which, with, you know, with Taproot that's activating, um, we'll, we'll be able to create, like, new forms of how we actually create these swaps so that uh, we can represent everybody's keys in these swaps, but actually on chain, it's only going to be one key, one signature. So I think that's like next year, that's something that we're, we're investing a lot in, uh, kind of like reducing our on-chain footprint there. Yeah, interesting. Oh. Yeah, go on. Oh, I, I had a question about the loop stuff. Well, two questions. I, so I've never used it, and that's because I, my understanding is it's L&D only. Have you guys made it available for other Lightning implementations? Uh, actually, I, I've used it with, with C Lightning before the, because the, the concept is just like you get a payment request. So the, the idea is like I get this payment request and it's locked to a hash. And then uh, uh, the server sends on chain some funds to the same hash. And what you need to do is you need to uh, present the pre image so that the, the user creates a secret and they use a secret to take the funds on the chain. And uh, that's actually something that you know, anybody can do. Because the server has no idea who's paying. Like, that's an interesting aspect of how Loop works. It's like, we actually have no idea of who the customers are because they're all paying us through the Lightning Network. So all that we see is we generated a payment request, somebody paid the payment request, and somebody swept it on-chain. Um, so there's multiple implementations of actually the client. And uh, we have like a reference implementation that does work with, MIT, like, does work with L&D and it's MIT licensed. Um, but that's something that maybe we could explore in the future of like, how can we decouple it? And like we have already done that with loop in. So the way that loop in works is you can use L and D with it, but you could also use it with any actually like any generic exchange. You can just have them generate like a, um, generate an on-chain address, and then you send to the on-chain address, and you're auditing the on-chain address. You're saying, is this on-chain address actually an HTLC, and it does it include my key, and does it include the the correct pre-image and the correct secret? Um, 
So that's something that we we can maybe expand. Like, to, although yeah, we're working on lots of different projects. Oh, my other question about Loop is: so you mentioned it, you, it was really useful when you have like a lot of peers to rebalance these um, the balances that you have with your existing peers. But um, again, and I, I so like I brought up the fact that I haven't used it because like maybe like I don't I don't know a lot about the current architecture of it. But is you guys only have like one one node that is the loop node because I would imagine that that makes it difficult for all the nodes that are connected to it if everyone's pushing money over to them to do loop outs or whatever wouldn't that like have an adverse impact on the balances of all the channels that were on that path to, to do rebalancing um so, well yeah the question is do you guys only have like one loop server or do you have like a bunch of them throughout the network Fewer loop servers is better from the from the cost perspective because you, what you want is for the uh, peers of the loop server to create enormous channels that can forward enormous amounts um, and then close uh, and aggregate all of those different loops into one on-chain transaction. Um, and we also want to, of course, have the, the traffic flow in the other direction. Um, but in order for traffic to flow bidirectionally, you need to have capital that is going to allow for wait time because traffic isn't going to go flow bidirectionally like every transaction. You, you may, you're maybe going to have to have a buffer. Um, and we also need to improve the, uh, the services that we have and the pricing that we have around the uh, movement in the other direction. So currently, uh, yeah, you, the, we do have kind of a, a situation with a loop server where if you peer with a loop server, uh, number one, you need you you need to have a large channel. Our minimum channel size is uh, the maximum channel size of the standard channel, and um, it's recommended that you probably do ten times that. Um, and uh, you know, I would kind of think of it as if you uh, have inbound liquidity that's in excess in on your node. You have too much inbound liquidity. Uh, loop is a great peer because you can charge a routing fee to, to pay to Loop. And we've, we've seen, what we've seen develop is kind of like an organic market. Like people recognize that, oh, if I peer with Loop and I have a lot of inbound, excess inbound liquidity, I can reduce my in, excess inbound liquidity. Somebody else who wants it is going to buy it, and they're going to buy it through me and, and pay me that. And that's also going to ripple out through the network. So their peers are going to have the same experience. Like if, if too much traffic is going to them, they're going to have a same, similar experience. And that's kind of like the challenge of Loop. We can't just build like a, you know, a one-on-one -on -one liquidity service. We need you to be able to get liquidity from the broad network. Um, and it also ties like Lightning Labs' business model to creating a diverse network. We, what we want is for this liquidity to be something that you need to have as a global network, not just as you buy it from one peer and you only transact with them. Yeah, very interesting to think about, hey? Um, so it's quite a long panel, isn't it? Um, we've got we've got about uh, ten minutes left, so maybe let's start looking at some of those kind of more future ideas that might be interesting as well, like I know, um, for example, Christian Decker has you know written about this idea of like multi-party channel, like AKA channel factories and things. Maybe you guys could tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that, or what do you see as the future of uh, Lightning and off-chain scaling? Uh, anyone? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, where to start? Um, yeah, I mean, channel factories are, are awesome. They obviously continue the, the constraint that everyone's online at the same time. Um, and so that's a particularly, oops, sorry, um, that, that's particularly annoying uh, if you're trying to talk, you know, uh, one of the really great things about channel factories is you can talk about 
you know, you're not talking about like large merchants who have a lot of liquidity and they can kind of put it in big channels. You're talking about like smaller amounts of liquidity that you want to be able to kind of more dynamically rebalance across channels. Uh, so maybe, you know, individuals who have, uh, who want to create a payment pool and, and, and do uh, liquidity sharing across channel factories and split that liquidity up across their channels dynamically. Um, and Sadly, once you start talking about individuals, you start talking about online requirements, and then things start to fall apart. It's like, well, I wanted to run it on my no on my phone, and my phone's not always online, um, and so that that falls apart pretty quickly. Um, but we can we can we can save it. We can save. We can get back a lot of those uh, a lot of that utility with with covenants. Um, so so features in in Bitcoin on chain to uh, enable much much more expressive expressive things, and we can use those as primitives to build. Uh, much fancier lightning models like channel factories. Um, when we start talking about like large, large LSPs, you want to talk about like how far can you scale being a large LSP like Breeze or Moon or Phoenix or whatever. Um, you know, th that's that's a really hard problem. How do you scale that that liquidity? Um, and how do you have, and, and one thing you really, really want to be able to do, which you can't do again because this online requirement is dynamically re rebalance your liquidity without on-chain transactions or at least with with minimal on-chain transaction footprint um, and that there are a lot of potential avenues there that require covenants um, where you can do a lot of really cool stuff but you can't do it today with Bitcoin as it exists today but hopefully uh, we'll be able to do it with with you know one of these uh, like say TV or or check well, check sig from stack or or check or or tap leaf update verify. Um, there's 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 a few proposals in that space right now. Um, and needs more needs more engineering time and more research and more whatever to get to get there. But but I'm I'm particularly optimistic and stuff in that direction because again I, you know I guess I I look at lightning a lot because this is kind of where LDK fits into the picture. Is I look at it a lot through the kind of how do we get end users who don't actually want to buy a Raspberry Pi and keep it online all the time. I, I mean, I know maybe people in this room love that, but it turns out most people like to, you know, use phones or whatever. How do we get them a good lightning experience that's not custodial? And right now the answer is is custodial or these LSPs that work, but you can't receive while you're offline. And like there's, there's a lot of hairy problems there. Um, and, you know, how do we get them to be more capital efficient so that they can charge a lower fee? Um, and so I, I view a lot of things through that lens and there's a lot of, upcoming work in that space that i'm excited about yeah very intelligent comment yeah. anyone else I was, yeah i was gonna i was just gonna say too i think that there's there's also like a need as we do all of these kind of new things like on lightning at the protocol level there's also like a big need of like easier tools and like developer tools and all these mm -hmm. things just yeah. to get up to speed on usability of lightning and you know that's we're working on a lot of things like in that department and i think that that's just a big need across the network is you know there's all there's a lot of protocol level improvements that can be done um, but then also allowing, allowing people to get up to speed easier, but then also doing more like participating, like maybe you don't want to be uh, a big LSP and you want to like let others participate with like liquidity ads or pool or something like that. And, you know, leverage those, uh, to get liquidity for your users. Um, I think right. there's just more tooling around the space outside of the protocol level that totally. is and that's, working. Yeah. That's a conversation we've had with some of our users is like, you know, I want to add Lightning non-custodial to my wallet, 
and I don't want to be the one to run the LSP. And you're like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could let your users do manual channel management and open with a bunch of different people, but like you can't do zero conf and then like, eh, how do we? Yeah. And so like, you know, where is the open source LSP in a box? You know, like that's right, right. a long ways away. Um, and like tooling like that and how do we enable people to build especially non-custodial experiences around Lightning that, you know, obviously you guys are great with, with merchants and hosting stuff. And then when we talk about like end users, that's just like, it's a long ways away from really enabling developers to, to do that stuff from scratch mm -hmm. without yeah. a ton of legwork. I, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, this is a kind of a separate topic. So, well, I, I, I was going to, you, you go, oh, I, I, I I'll, I'll to... end it with a question that I think okay. will, um, yeah. I just wanted to point out that some of the things that Matt was talking about for, you know, we've been, we're an off-chain panel, but uh, all of the improvements that Matt was pointing out are all on-chain improvements, right? So to some extent, a lot of the stuff that moves uh, off-chain stuff forward um, really depends on improvements on the chain layer. So that's like definitely uh, something that we're very um, happy that there's a lot of really smart and uh great people that are working on the layer one stuff and I don't know I think yeah covenants will be really interesting with that if that happens and package relay so we can finally fix lightning security model <laughs> make lightning actually secure yeah. Yeah. we need hats well, uh, so <laughs> what, what I was really curious about because I haven't heard your comments on this but bolt 12 like yay or nay too much like what what are the thoughts on bolt 12 uh, Bolt 12 is awesome. I mean, I don't know if you saw, I mean, we're going to talk about it in uh, 15 oh, minutes. Nice. I'm, okay. We're going to have a, okay. a, a chat with, well, not, not Bolt 12 specifically, but with Andre, who skipped our panel, and I'm now mad at Andre. Um, but Andre and I are going to chat about uh, kind of, well, especially kind of receiving while offline and this kind of like, you know, issue that's that's propped up with like Twitter. You can only receive tips if you opt into a custodial service and KYC yourself. Um and like, how do we how do we fix stuff like that? And I guess you know, from my uh, naive view, before I had had spent a lot any time with Bolt twelve, I was like, oh, Bolt twelve probably fixes a bunch of this stuff. And it's like, actually, no, Bolt twelve just you know, it 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 was scoped smaller, and I think it's even gotten scoped even smaller. Like, I think Rusty now wants to talk about deploying it without recurrence. Um, and so you know, to get it there, it's gotten scoped smaller, and and. A lot of the print, like it relies on this, these onion message primitives, which I think are going to be critical. Like I have, I had this like back of the envelope proposal for doing uh, offline payment receipts or like partially offline payment receipts, um, which I think might be cool eventually. But like first we need onion messages and onion messages are also needed before Bolt 12. And so like it, it's, it's still kind of a ways off in that sense. And sadly, I think, you know, I think all of the lightning implementers have just been too busy with other stuff to spend a lot of time on spec except for maybe see lightning async uh, has a draft pr for offers for wait what for async offer. async has a draft pr oh, for, for offers, offers. Yeah. oh cool yeah they've they've had a little more time yeah we've we've been like massively underwater lnd i know has been been underwater on trying to like do more business stuff than than or like work on loop and other products than just like kind of work on lnd moving the spec forward and so, you know, there's just been a, a lack of that, but but they're trying to hire, I know. I know Sea Lightning's trying to hire, we're trying to hire. So so there's more headcount coming in that department. And then I think from there, hopefully we can accelerate some of that and, and get things like Onion Messages broadly supported. And then from there we can get, you know, build new cool stuff based on it, like Bolt 12 and like maybe offline receipts. And then we can, you know, there's just, there's so much to do on the spec department and there's just so few resources there. And I... 
I think everyone with a Lightning implementation right now is hiring. So if you're an engineer and you know something about Lightning or want to learn about Lightning, talk to anyone with a Lightning implementation because they have a job for you. Yeah, I mean, yeah. even just the Lightning uh, industry. I mean, people who are building you know solutions like Voltage, um, there's so many opportunities to create new companies based on Lightning and so many yeah. people who are already having companies, they need help to integrate Lightning and make it work. Uh, I had a final, maybe yeah, sure. like a final yeah. comment. I think we're, we've got, we're down to the last five minutes anyway, so let's okay. just get a final comment, maybe a um, minute each. Yeah. Okay, so I wanted to, like, so we've been talking about on-chain versus off-chain, like, uh, stuff. Um, I think one kind of fun way to think about L2s, like, L2s fundamentally require Bitcoin to be locked into them to make them functional at all. So in some ways, um, depending, I know people buy and invest in Bitcoin for a variety of reasons, but... I just want to kind of maybe add to your list of reasons to invest in Bitcoin. And that is that um, at some level, that is a, a way of like participating in or like kind of deploying capital to these like layer two networks are going to require people who hold Bitcoin to um, commit it to these like networks in order for them to succeed. Um, and if you think that in the future, Lightning Network will be a very big um, payment network and there's going to be a lot of traffic and um, as a Bitcoin holder that means that there might be opportunities in the future for you to participate in maybe some of the fees that are generated through Lightning. That's like very probably controversial or whatever but I yeah, definitely um, think it's kind of an interesting to think about when you're valuing like what is a Bitcoin worth. Yeah. This guy, this poor guy's had his hand oh, up for like, guy. I it's don't gonna know, be quick. 20 minutes. We're going to wrap up in a couple of yeah, It's quick. Let's get, just come up to the microphone just up there. Super quick though, because we've got about a minute left on this panel. So I didn't have anything to close with anyway. So. Hey, yeah. I, was just, I was just curious. I'll just say it. I'll repeat the question. I was curious, um, uh, what is the priority like or timeline to uh, get Taproot? Like, it seems like that's... As in on Lightning. On Lightning, yeah. yeah I, so the question, just for the stream, what is the priority to get Taproot on Lightning? I, I think, again, there like there there is a significant lack... There is definitely not enough resources right now on Lightning spec implementation work. I think maybe with the exception of C-Lightning, Lisa's going to start kicking me here in a second. Um, but, you know, they, they, they focus a little more on that, and I think others others maybe have been behind on that uh, because we've had other focuses um, and, and are trying to hire for that and then move that forward. Um, there are so many yeah. spec changes coming in Lightning yeah. messages and whatever. So it's, I I don't have a number. And it's not Two just, weeks it's TM, not just but tap, it's, one Taproot integration. There's yeah. many different yeah. ways that Taproot's going to interact yeah. with Lightning. Right. Yeah. We'll be uh, talking about this a little more on the Socratic seminar tomorrow, I think. So come hang out. Excellent. Well, guys, I think that's about all we've got time for. So uh, can everyone put your hands together for our panelists, Matt, Lisa, Graham, and Alex. Thank you. So I hope you found that useful as an update on what's going on in the world of scaling Bitcoin off-chain, particularly with Lightning. And of course, there'll be a transcript over at the website, stefanlevera.com slash 324. Thanks for listening, and I will see you in the Citadels.